0: Welcome to another episode of the Gail and Oliver podcast. This episode, we have a special treat. We're going to be featuring a guest, Leanna Cotton, and it's going to be a radio play about the Great Depression. Please enjoy.
1: On October 24th, 1929, the country was shocked by the stock market's unprecedented drop in price. Almost overnight, the country entered a new phase that tested every fiber of our self-worth and our country that we had built. We are now going to hear about some of these hardships that we experienced, and these will be told from several different historical figures. First, we will hear from Mary about the stock market crash. Over to you, Mary!
2: The stock market crash of 1929 is considered one of the worst economic events in history. On Thursday, October twenty fourth, 1929, the crash started with investors trading in 12.9 billion shares. Four days later, on Black Monday, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 13%, followed by another 12% the next day on Black Tuesday. The year leading up to the crash of the stock market was a year of false wealth and borrowed glamour. Everything was bought on credit, creating a proliferation of debt stock market prices climbed and investing in stocks became a pastime for Americans. All this built to a peak in 1929 when it came crashing down. After the initial shock, the stocks continued to go down, setting the economy up for the Great Depression. By July 8th, 1932, the Dow was down to 41.22, an 89.2% drop from its high of 8 381.13 in September 1929 this crash devastated many people millions were unemployed and many people could barely support themselves let alone a family one unemployed father in Oregon said we do not dare to use even a little soap when it will pay for an extra egg or a few more carrots for our children
1: wow absolutely riveting stuff When the market crashed, that led us into the greatest depression in our history. Now we'll hear more about that from Betty, our economic expert on the Great Depression.
0: The Great Depression was a severe economic depression that took place primarily in the 1930s, starting in the US and spreading worldwide. In this segment, I'll be interviewing Lawrence Svobeda, who was a farmer during the Dust Bowl, in order to take a closer look at how the Great Depression affected the lives of Americans. Lawrence is a wheat farmer from Kansas who witnessed firsthand the devastating droughts and relentless winds that crippled the southern Great Plains during the 1930s. Hello Lawrence, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on here today to talk about my experience with the Great Depression.
0: So Lawrence, what impact did the Dust Bowl have on you, physically, mentally, and financially?
1: Well, when I knew that my crop was gone, I experienced a deathly feeling, which I hope can affect a man only once in his lifetime my dreams and ambition have been flouted by nature and my shattered ideals seemed gone forever the very desire to make a success of my life was gone the spirit and urge to strive were dead within me fate had dealt me a cruel blow above which i felt utterly unable to rise the dust bowl cost me my livelihood i lost my farm my crops and all my money
0: that sounds terrible
1: oh it was (laughs) oh it was the dust was bad for our health too the doctors of our region know that dust endangers the life of everyone, and it is often the direct cause of the deaths of people previously strong and healthy. There are many victims who, because of poverty or prejudice, never go to a hospital. There are many victims who, because of poverty or prejudice, never go to a hospital, and many patients who are taken there at last by relatives are alive when admitted, but then die within a few hours. My head ached, my stomach was upset, and my lungs were oppressed and felt as if they must contain a ton of dirt.
0: Did you ever leave the Dust Bowl?
1: Oh, I had to. With my financial resources exhausted and my health seriously, if not permanently impaired, I was at last ready to admit defeat and leave the Dust Bowl forever.
0: Well, I'm so sorry you had to go through all that. Thanks so much for coming on today to talk about it.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: If you want to hear more vivid accounts from Lawrence, you can read his memoir, Farming the Dust Bowl.
1: Let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Rocky Road Ice Cream. Invented in 1929 in foggy Oakland, California, this luscious treat is filled with all of your favorite ingredients. Salty walnuts, rich, chocolatey ice cream, and all swirled together with a ribbon of gooey marshmallow. Pick up a pint today at your favorite grocery store near you.
0: And we're back!
1: Next up, let's hear a fireside chat with President Roosevelt.
0: On a Sunday night, a week after my inauguration, I used the radio to tell you about the banking crisis and the measures that we are taking to, to meet it. I think that in a way I made clear to the country various facts that might otherwise have been misunderstood and in general provided a means of understanding which did much to restore confidence. Tonight I will give another report about the New Deal and a specific agency called the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or the FDIC. The purpose of the FDIC is to provide deposit insurance to depositors in the U.S. Depository Institutions in order to maintain stability and public confidence in the nation's financial system. This means that if your bank fails, your deposits, up to a certain amount, are insured. Therefore, you won't lose all your savings. The FDIC directly supervises and examines more than 5,000 banks and saving associations for operational safety and soundness. Your government does not intend that the history of the past few years shall be repeated. We do not want and will not have another epidemic of bank failures. To you, the people of this country, all of us, the members of the Congress and the members of this administration, owe a profound debt of gratitude. Throughout the Depression, you have been patient, you have granted us wide powers, you have encouraged us with widespread approval of our purposes. We are encouraged to believe that a wise and sensible beginning has been made. In the present spirit of mutual confidence and mutual encouragement, we go forward.
1: Thanks, Mr. President. Great stuff. Now we're going to move on to Huey Long, who has an interesting and uncommon take on the New Deal.
2: I know many of you argue that this New Deal has gone too far. Some of you even say it is unconstitutional. But I say the opposite. I don't think it has gone far enough. The government has a duty to help its people and uphold the economy. And in order to do that, strict policies need to be made and intervention is essential. Whenever this administration has gone to the left, I have voted for it, and whenever it has gone to the right, I have voted against it. I am happy with the newly implemented New Deal, but there needs to be more done on top of that. Every man is a king, but the government is only treating a select few as such. The real problem in this country is the uneven distribution of wealth. This is why I have been pushing the Share Our Wealth program. Federal security does not go far enough. Redistributing wealth is much more effective. I propose that once someone reaches $1 million annual income, they will have a 100% income tax, so everything they make will be given back to the needy. This will guarantee that every family's annual income is no less than $2,000. The trouble is, Roosevelt hasn't taken all of my ideas, just part of them. I'm about 100 yards ahead of him. We're on the same road, but I'm here and he's there.
0: Thank you all so much for listening to our radio play about the Great Depression. We hope you all learned a little something about what life was like during the 1930s. Let's hope history never repeats itself. Take care, we'll see you next,